This morning, I have a short quiz for you. It's called the Comeback Quiz. Are you ready? All right, here's the first question. Put this on the screen. Which NFL quarterbacks have led the most fourth quarter comebacks? And I'm going to show you the top three. Are you ready? Okay, so you can guess, but I'll show you the picture. I'll make it easy. Here you go. Here's the first one. Who's that? So you think it's John Elway because of the uniform, but who is it actually? Yes, Peyton Manning. Okay, he's the all-time leader with 45 fourth quarter comebacks. Okay, here's number two. Who's this? Some of you know that's Tom Brady with 37. And here's number three, hometown favorite. Yes, Dan Deman Marino with 36 fourth quarter comebacks. Now for you um, sports fans that like basketball, here's a question. What was the greatest comeback in the history of college basketball? This was during an NCAA tournament. I'll give you the year, 1994. And let me tell you the answer, because I had to look it up myself. Are you ready? It is when the Kentucky Wildcats overcame a 31-point deficit in the second half to beat LSU, 99 to 95. It was interesting because this week as I was thinking about this idea of comebacks, I found out that there was a special edition of Sports Illustrated. And what had happened, they were covering the World Series, and this is back at, um, I think it was 2001, the Arizona Diamondbacks were playing the New York Yankees, and they came back, Arizona came back in the last inning of the last game and won the World Series. So the editor started thinking, we should put together the top 10 comebacks in all of history and publish that in our magazine. So that's what they did. Now, their choices were, were rather broad because one of the people on that list was Elvis Presley. Nothing to do with sports. And they chose Elvis because in 1968 he did this TV special that relaunched his career. Now they did have some people involved in sports like Muhammad Ali because he had this, this four, seven year exile from boxing. He came back and regained his championship. Now this was interesting. This is from the world of politics. Harry Truman made this list because in 1948, which was before some of us were born, myself included, um, he made this stunning political comeback. He was losing in the polls, but he actually ended up winning. So just keep that in mind when you watch the news these days. When, when Michael Jordan left baseball, remember he started playing minor league baseball to fulfill his dream, and he came back to basketball. That was called one of the 10 greatest comebacks. Another was this, the entire human race. And this is because humanity came back from the Black Plague in the 14th century. It killed 25 million people in Europe. But the human race came back. And then this was interesting. There were two countries tied for number two, Germany and Japan. And that's because even though they were devastated after World War II, they became world economic powers within a generation. But as we continue the countdown to number one, who do you think the editors of Sports Illustrated selected for the number one comeback in all of history. They actually selected Jesus Christ in AD 33. Isn't that amazing? It's right, it's true, but it is rather amazing because here's the deal. Yeah, the resurrection of Jesus is the greatest comeback in all of history. And here's the thing. The resurrection of Jesus has profound influence in our lives and in the lives of his disciples because what happens when Jesus comes back from the dead, you see other disciples making serious comebacks of their own. And so here is the question that I want us to focus on this morning. What can we learn from the story of Jesus and his disciples that can help us come back from failure? 
What can we learn from this story about Jesus and his disciples that will help us come back from failure? And let me begin with this observation. Um, how many of you have ever seen a little child learning to walk? Probably all of us, right? And, and you know what they do? They, they keep falling down, and they keep getting up. Now, can you imagine a little kid, you know, a toddler, falls down and says, Mommy, I'm just, I'm just a klutz, you know? I mean, I just wasn't cut out to be a walker. I'm just going to have to settle for crawling for the rest of my life. Little kids don't say that, do they? Because toddlers expect to toddle. And they fail, and they get up, and they fail, and they get up, and eventually they learn to walk. But here's what often happens. As we get older, we become more and more afraid of failure. And so how we handle failure, how we handle the fear of failure is really, really important. And here's the reason why. This is on your outline. Because failure is an experience that some people face. No, we all do. Everyone faces failure. And that was certainly true of Jesus' disciples. Look at these verses. This is from Matthew chapter 26. Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this, Tonight, tonight all of you will desert me, Jesus told them. For the scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and meet you there. Now, this passage continues with Peter's response to what Jesus says. Peter declared, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. Peter, Jesus replied, the truth is this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. No, Peter insisted, not, not even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. Now, when the disciples failed Jesus, was Jesus surprised? No. When we fail Jesus, is he shocked, surprised? No. Because failure is a common experience that we all encounter in our lives. Now, think about this. Where are some of the areas in your life that you have failed? I'm just going to mention some, but think about that. Here's one. Sometimes people have failed at school. You know, maybe you failed a test or you didn't get the grade that you wanted on a test. Maybe you failed a class. Maybe you were held back an entire grade. Or what about this? What about sports? Maybe you failed to make the team. Maybe you failed to be a starter on the team. Maybe your team lost the championship. You failed to win. Or how about the world of work? Maybe you failed to get the job that you really wanted or keep the job that you wanted. Maybe you had a business failure. Or what about this? Hobbies. You know, maybe you decided, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grow plants. And all your plants died and you felt like a failure. I'm just, I don't have green thumbs. What about this, relationships? That's a big one, isn't it? Maybe it was a dating relationship that failed, a friendship that failed. Maybe you've been through a divorce and you look at yourself and think, man, I'm just, I'm a failure. Or maybe this morning you're a mom or a dad and you think about the choices your kids have made and you think, man, I'm not a very good dad, I'm not a very good mom. Or what about this? Maybe there's a persistent temptation that you deal with and you just can't seem to find victory. Maybe it's an addiction and you just think to yourself, I'm a failure, I'm never gonna change, I'm never gonna overcome this. And here's something else, some of us have found success in one area of our lives but we failed miserably in another. You know, how many people have worked really, really hard and been successful in their career and failed at home? And so the question is this, Everybody's experienced failure. Nobody likes it. So what do we do? 
And here's the reality. Some people are energized by failure. And some people are paralyzed by failure. Some people are pushed to new levels of commitment and courage when they fail, and some people are just flattened by failure. Now, why is that? Well, look at this statement on your outline. Failure can be a tyrant that destroys your life. Failure can be a tyrant that destroys your life. How many of Jesus' disciples ran away when he was arrested? All of them. But did that failure affect them all the same way? No. There was one particular disciple who really had a profound sense of failure. And how did he handle it? Well, look at this verse. It says this. When Judas, who had betrayed him, betrayed Jesus, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and other leaders. And listen to this confession. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent man. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. Then Judas threw the money onto the floor of the temple and went out and hanged himself. In my role as a pastor and in my former profession as a firefighter and a paramedic, I've been on the scene of a lot of suicides. And I can tell you this, the notes left behind have two common words. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. I'm sorry I let you down. I'm sorry I couldn't go on. I want you to look at this very important verse about the sorrow that comes from failure. It says this, For God can use sorrow in our lives to help us turn away from sin and seek salvation. We will never regret that kind of sorrow, but sorrow without repentance is the kind that results in death. And that's exactly what happened to Judas. Failure can be so serious that it brings people to take their lives. It brings death, but it also brings death in another way, not just in the physical sense, but the death of hope, the death of dreams, the, the death of possibilities, because this is what often happens when people fail they stop trying. They start to settle for life as it is. And here's the reality. The risk of future failure is too great because the pain of past failure is too deep. Failure can be a tyrant that destroys your life, but here's the encouraging news. It doesn't have to be that way. There was another disciple who failed Jesus, not once but three times, and his failure was all the more stinging because Peter both said, hey, Jesus, I will never desert you. I will never fail you. But unlike Judas, Peter learned something that's very important for us to learn as well. Failure can be a teacher, a teacher that God uses to restore your life. Failure can be a teacher that God uses to restore your life. Somebody asked Winston Churchill one time, what most prepared you to lead Great Britain through World War II? And this is what Churchill said. It was a time I repeated a class in grade school. And the person said, you mean you flunked a grade? Churchill said, I never flunked in my life. I was given a second opportunity to get it right. See, failure can be a teacher that prepares us for future success. I read a, a fascinating story in a book. It's called Art and Fear. And it was about this um, pottery class that this teacher was, was conducting. And he had two groups of students. He had group A and group B. And he conducted an experiment. And what he did, he told the people in group A, he says, listen, 
I'm going to grade you on the total number of pots you produce. It's just quantity. If you throw 50 pots, you get an A, 40 pots, you get a B, and so on. And he said, okay, people in group B, here's the deal. You only have to produce one pot, but it better be good because your entire grade is going to rest on that one pot. Now, this is what he found at the end of the class. The very best pots were produced by this group, group A. The group that made a pot and said, man, that didn't work, and they threw it out. Now, let's try this again. And they kept trying and failing and trying and failing. And because of that, they actually had the greatest satisfaction and the most beauty in the artwork they produced. And I think there's such an important lesson there. And it's so obvious, isn't it? That we can, we can build success on the foundation of failure. Failure can be a teacher that helps us move forward in our lives. And here's why that's so important, church. Because when you fail, and we all do, you get to choose the role that you assign your failure. You can say, this is going to be a tyrant that just hurts me, or this is going to be a teacher that helps me become the person that God created me to be. Peter allowed Jesus to use a failure in his life to move him forward to a new level of commitment and to reconciliation. And think about this. What happens to Peter after he denies Jesus, before Jesus rises from the dead? Well, Peter goes back to what he knows best, which is what? Fishing. You know, if, if I'm going to fail Jesus, at least I can try to do something I'm good at. So he goes back to fishing, and there is this beautiful story. This is in the end of, of John's gospel. It's in chapter 21. And so Jesus and his other disciple buddies are out fishing. They've been fishing all night long, and they haven't caught a single fish. And so the sun's starting to come up, and they look on the shore, and they see this guy. They can't really make out who it is. And he says, hey, have you caught any fish? And they yell back, no. And the guy on the, on the shore says, well, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. And they do, and you know the story, many of you, that net is so filled with fish they can barely pull it up. And then John looks at Peter and says, Peter, that's the Lord. And Peter is so excited, he doesn't even wait for the boat to get to shore. He just jumps in the water, sort of just how he's wired. He's so impetuous, and he swims to shore, and he comes up on the beach there. He's dripping wet, and there's Jesus. And the scene must have been pretty tense because... The disciples all know this is Jesus, but nobody says, hey, are you Jesus? And then Jesus has a conversation with Peter. And I want to show this to you. It's from John chapter 21, because this conversation can help us understand how to deal with failure. Are you ready? This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, they ate fish. Jesus actually cooked them breakfast. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Now, Jesus is not talking about the other disciples. He's talking about the fish. Do you love me more than these fish, Peter? And how does Peter respond? Yes, Lord, he said, you, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, Take care of my sheep. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, what's going on here? Well, obviously, Jesus is asking Peter three times, do you love me? Because Peter has denied Jesus three times. And here's what Jesus wants. He wants Peter to move beyond his failure. 
And friends, that's exactly what Jesus wants for us, to move beyond our failure. So the question is, how do you do that? How can you move beyond failure? Let me point out two principles from this story, and here's the first. Examine your heart so that you can understand and own your failure. When we fail, we have to take a look at our heart so that we can understand why we have failed and so that we can take responsibility so that we can own our failure. I read a story this week about this manager of a minor league baseball team and he was getting more and more upset because his center fielder kept making errors and so finally he just grabbed the guy and said, hey, get in the dugout, I'm gonna play your position. So the manager goes out on the field and the first ball um, is hit to center field, takes a bad hop, hits him in the face. Next ball is a high pop-up, he loses it and the sun hits him in the forehead and he's just furious and so he storms into the dugout, he grabs his center fielder by the, by the collar and says, you idiot! You have got center field so messed up that not even I can do anything with it. Now think about this. What do we do when we fail? Typically blame other people or blame circumstances or blame somebody or something because it's just not my fault that I failed. Notice this. When Peter fails, Jesus wants him to take a look where? At his heart. Because he says, Peter, do you what? Do you love me? And I think it's, it's really helpful to realize that, you know, Peter's not trying to make excuses here, is he? Lord, listen, you know, I know, I know we all ran away, but listen, did you see how big those soldiers were? They had big weapons, big swords. I was, I was scared. And Lord, you know, if these other guys hadn't bailed on you, I, I wouldn't have either. Peter doesn't do that. He actually is ready to own his failure. And notice this as well. Jesus says, Peter, do you love me more than these fish that you just caught. What is, what is Jesus saying? Peter, do I have first place in your life? Now church, listen carefully. This is really, really important. Anything that hinders your relationship with Jesus, anything that, that competes with God for first place in your life will ultimately cause you to fail. Do you realize that? It will ultimately cause you to fail. Conversely, Here's the encouraging thing. Anything that enables you to grow in your relationship with Jesus, anything that enables you to become more like him will ultimately enable you to what? To succeed. According to God's definition of success, to become the person that he made you to be. There's a writer, his name is Morris West, and he said this. This is a great quote. He said, if a man is centered upon himself, the smallest risk is too great for him because both success and failure can destroy him. But if he's centered on God then no risk is too great because success is already guaranteed. The successful union of the creator and his creature. A life centered on God will lead us to success. Now, in order to move beyond failure, we have to understand it, we have to own it, and then we need to do this. Take action to put your failure behind you. Take action to put your failure behind you. You know, even though Peter has failed, Jesus is calling him to take action. You know, three times Jesus gives Peter something to do. Take care of my lambs, feed my sheep. What is Jesus saying? Peter, get back to work. I called you to help me build a kingdom. Let's get back to building the kingdom together. And even though Peter is a broken man, God can still use him. And that's true for us too. Taking action is really, really important because the worst thing that you can do when you fail is nothing. Now, why, why is it so important that we understand our failure, that we own our failure, that we put it behind us? 
And here's the reason, because we all fail. Every single one of us. And this is why the gospel is so important. It's why it is good news, this story of Jesus and what he's done for us and what he's promised to do. Because think about this. What is the fundamental failure that every human being has to deal with according to God's perspective? Is this, the failure to love. That is a really bottom line here because what did Jesus say? Here's what God wants for us, to love him with all of our heart, mind, strength, and soul and to love our neighbor as what? As ourself. And when we fail to do that, the Bible has a word for it, and we know what it is. Big I in the middle, right? Sin. It's because of our selfish, sinful heart that we disobey God. And the Bible says, hey, because God is holy and just, he can't just look the other way. He has to punish every sin we've ever committed. And the Bible says this, the wages of sin is what? Death. That's what we see play out in Judas's life. But it doesn't have to be that way. It can play out in an entirely different way. And we see that in Peter's life. Because his failure drives him to Jesus. Now here's what's really important for us to understand. Okay, if our primary failure is a failure to love, how does God deal with that? By sending someone who can love perfectly. Because isn't that what Jesus demonstrates? I mean, the only way he could live a perfect life is if he loves his father perfectly and he loves people perfectly, and of course he does. And what's intriguing is that the love of Jesus is not always the same. Sometimes his love is tough and sometimes it's tender and sometimes it challenges and sometimes it encourages, but it's always love. And because of his great love, Jesus lays down his life for us. And I think about this. Jesus goes through this horrible experience. Why? Because he loves us. Somebody said one time that it wasn't the nails that held him to the cross, it was his love. And do you remember the story? Jesus was actually taunted. They said, you know, if you're, if you're really the son of God, we'll come down from the cross. Could Jesus have done that? Yeah, in a New York minute. But he didn't because he loves you and me that much. And so he suffers in our place. God is willing to put our sin on Jesus to punish him in our place. He dies the death that we deserve. And then God raises him to life. And Jesus says, hey, I want you to come and follow me because I want you to have a new life. A life of love, a life where you can come back from failure. And isn't that the hope of the gospel? And here's what I want you to see, is coming back from failure a one-time event in our lives? No, absolutely not. I mean, you know, you can say, Jesus, you know, I, I believe that you're the son of God and I believe you died for me and you rose from the dead and I wanna follow you. Okay, that's great, and you become a Christian, but does that mean you never fail anymore? Absolutely not, how many of you failed this week? Yeah, me too. And so here's the thing, and this is so important for us to understand. The more you understand God's grace, the more you experience God's grace, the shorter the period of time between when you fail and when you get up and put that failure behind you. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, I was talking with our, with our staff about this earlier in the week, and I said, you know, I remember... In the early days of following Jesus, when I would fail, it was like a tragedy. And I would beat myself up for days, for weeks. And then as I really understood God's grace, that time period started to shorten. And I would realize, I don't have to beat myself up about this. What I need to do is confess it to God. I need to understand why I failed. I need to own that failure, and then I need to put it behind me and get going. That's what we learned from the lesson of Peter. And so for me... 
because I just, I want to understand God's grace, I want to experience God's grace, the time period between when I fail and when I get up is getting shorter. And I want that to be the case for each one of you. But that is only possible because of God's grace. And let me just close with this thought. What day of the week was it when Jesus died? What day of the week? We, we talked about having a Good Friday service. Why do we call it Good Friday? Well, because in hindsight, we know it was good, right? It was good for us. It was good for humanity. It was God's way of redeeming us. And so, yeah, that was good. But do you think, from the perspective of the disciples, that that was Good Friday? Not by a long shot. It was Bad Friday, really bad Friday. Because think about it. It looked like Jesus had utterly failed. He'd been traveling around the countryside for three years saying, I'm a king, I'm establishing a kingdom, follow me. Well, guess what? The king is dead. And so are their dreams. In fact, think about the failure of the disciples themselves. Peter has denied that he even knows Jesus. Judas sold him out and then killed himself. I mean, what a miserable group. Sometimes when we fail, We feel like it's bad Friday. And there's this pain in our heart and we feel discouraged and we feel defeated and we wonder if we will ever have victory over the sin and the selfishness in our hearts. Whenever you feel like that, whenever you feel like it's bad Friday, I want you to remember this from the life of Jesus. It may be Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying. But they don't know that Sundays are coming. It's Friday. The Romans beat my Jesus. They robe him in scars. They crown him with thorns, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See Jesus walking to Calvary, his blood dripping, his body stumbling, and his spirit's burdened. But you see, it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world's winning, people are sinning, and evil's grinning. It's Friday, the soldiers nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And then they raised him up next to criminals. It's Friday, but let me tell you something, Sunday's coming. It's
it's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved. But they don't know it's only Friday. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. He's hanging on the cross, feeling forsaken by his father left alone and dying. Can nobody save him? Oh, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the earth trembles, the sky grows dark, my king yields his spirit. It's Friday, hope is lost, death has won. Sin has conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday. Jesus is buried. A soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It is only Friday. Sunday is a coming. You can applaud, yes. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, it's so good to remember that Sunday's a coming. And in one sense, Lord, it has already come. There is hope because of Jesus and his resurrection. And God, I pray this morning that you'd help us to realize how much you love us and Father, as, as our kids' choir sings these songs, I pray that you would receive these songs, God, as an expression of our love to you, and may these songs bring joy to your heart. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.